From Creation Ministries International, you're listening to Creation.com's article podcast. The research and insights that give God the glory, refutes evolution, and gives you the answers to defend your faith. I'm Joseph Darnell. Creation.com has almost 14,000 articles from nearly 40 years of ministry. It's just not possible to produce a podcast of all of them. So I look for articles that stand out, whether they're timely subjects I want listeners like you to be aware of as soon as possible, or the article shares timelessly relevant information that all of us should learn and share with others. This article, Created or Evolved, is unique in that it includes several short videos we produced. Because I like to keep things interesting, and this article is great for anyone new to creation.com, I'll cut between narrating the article and the audio from the videos so you'll get all the media. And just a heads up, if your interest is piqued by any subject, links to several relevant articles are in the show notes for this episode so you can find answers and more information. Now, on with today's article, Created or Evolved. Since Charles Darwin first published his Origin of Species in 1959, the idea that everything just evolved by itself over millions and billions of years has come to dominate our public media and educational institutions. Evolution is often spoken of as fact. So it surprises many that there are an increasing number of voices speaking out against evolution. They say we are not evolved, but created. It's even more of a surprise to discover many of those voices are from leading scientists across a range of disciplines. Not only are they pointing out the flaws in evolutionary theory, but they're also showing that the evidence around us fits with the Bible's account of the past, not evolution. What is this evidence for creation that these scientists are pointing to? There's lots. Here's just a taste. First, there's the design of living things. If we look at even just one aspect of our bodies, such as the dexterity of our hand, wrist, and fingers, it speaks of design, and therefore a designer. Robotics engineers are still striving to copy that dexterity, and our movements are controlled by our brains. No mean feat. The immense complexity of the human brain, its creativity and power of abstract reasoning, with capacities vastly beyond that required for sheer survival, is perhaps the most obvious evidence for intelligent creation. At the time that Charles Darwin published his Origin of Species, a cell was considered a simple blob of protoplasm, a basic building block of life. But with the development of technology allowing us to study living things at a molecular level, it's now realized that a single cell is enormously complex. And new jaw-dropping discoveries of its hitherto unrealized complexity are continuing to be made. For example, the cell has a switchboard system to coordinate the multiplicity of biochemical events happening within. And there's much more. For example, it's humorous now to look back on a prediction by a scientist, J.B.S. Haldane, who believed that, because of evolution, no one would ever find a wheel in nature. He was wrong, as the video the ATP synthase enzyme illustrates of the world's smallest rotary motor, the incredible ATP synthase enzyme present in all living things. This animated sequence shows the ATP synthase enzyme in operation. The animation is based on an incredible series of scientific discoveries. Only the colors show artistic license. 
ATP, or adenosine triphosphate, is the energy currency of the cell. ATP is produced by a tiny molecular rotary motor, rotating at up to 7,000 RPM. These are so small that 100,000 would fit side by side in a millimeter. A current of protons drives the motor, unlike man-made electric motors which use electrons. This portion of the enzyme is where adenosine diphosphate is combined with a phosphate ion in the presence of a catalyst to produce ATP, which is then released, making way for the next cycle. A top view of the enzyme shows the sequential operation. Almost every biochemical process in your body requires ATP. Such a nanomachine exhibits all the characteristics of super-intelligent design. ATP is vital for life and many of these motors were needed before the first living cell could exist. An evolutionary impossibility. And there are linear motors too, including the kinesin protein that walks as it transports essential components to where they are needed in the cell, as the video the kinesin linear motor shows. Inside a living cell is an amazing transportation system. Proteins have to be delivered to the correct part of the cell to perform their intended functions. This animation, based on a lot of clever research over a number of years, shows how it happens. Highways made of microtubules are assembled by interlocking proteins, each manufactured in accordance with the coded instructions on the cell's DNA. Marching along a microtubule is the kinesin motor, the hero of our story, carrying a huge sack of proteins to be delivered to a predetermined place in the cell. Here, the proteins will be released to fulfill their functions. A kinesin linear motor uses one ATP to provide the energy for each step and takes 125,000 steps to cover one millimeter. This amazing machine shows all the hallmarks of design. Note that every step the kinesin protein takes requires one ATP molecule for energy. That is, the ATP which is generated by the rotary ATP synthase motor. The eukaryotic cell needs both of these highly complex motors to be present and fully functional, and much more besides. No wonder the psalmist wrote, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And the Apostle Paul said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse, Indeed, there is no excuse, especially as modern science continues to reveal the irreducible complexity in life's biochemistry. The following is from protein synthesis, DNA translation, and mRNA transcription. This animation demonstrates how the digital information encoded within DNA is used to direct protein synthesis. This is a DNA double helix containing the digital code which directs the cell in all aspects of operation. And here we see a protein complex called an RNA polymerase traveling down the DNA strand. As it moves down the strand, it carefully unwinds the DNA, preparing it for transcription. Inside the polymerase, we see a single-stranded copy of the original instructions being assembled as individual bases are positioned and added to the growing strand. A stop code marks the end of the protein specification, at which point this copy, known as a messenger RNA transcript, exits the polymerase and heads towards a two-part chemical manufacturing machine called the ribosome. 
While the messenger RNA moves towards the ribosome, transfer RNA molecules attach to specific amino acids in preparation for assembly. As the messenger RNA transcript passes through the ribosome, the process of translation begins. Using the instructions encoded on the messenger RNA as a template, the transfer RNA molecules align specific sequences of bases to corresponding amino acids, creating a protein chain. As this chain exits the ribosome, it is met by chaperones which prevent premature folding, while escorting the protein to a barrel-shaped machine called a chaperonin. This machine helps fold the protein into the precise shape required to perform its function. Although it is unclear how the chaperonin achieves this, we do know that accurate folding is essential in order for the protein to accomplish its intended function. Once the protein is complete, it is released into the cytoplasm to do its job. Note that this whole system, DNA, RNA, and fully functional enzyme machinery must be present in any living cell. To get RNA, you need DNA, and to get DNA, you need enzymes. Get the picture? No one has any idea how such a sophisticated set of nanomachines could have made themselves without intelligent design. This had to be designed by a superintelligence. This is one characteristic of the Creator described in the Bible, omniscient, all-knowing. What would Charles Darwin have made of all this new information available today? Even in his day, the sight of a peacock feather was enough to make him sick. The video The Peacock Feathers Make Darwin Sick relates. How did the peacock get such a spectacular tail? Bothered by this question, Charles Darwin wrote, The sight of a feather in a peacock's tail whenever I gaze at it makes me sick. Sometime later, though, Darwin proposed his theory of sexual selection, which basically says that the peacock evolved its exotic tail to attract a mate, thus helping it produce more offspring and thus increasing the numbers with attractive tails. But a recent critical review published in the prestigious journal Science has pointed out that the theory has fatal problems and needs to be replaced. However, other evolutionary scientists have rushed to Darwin's defence, contending that the authors failed to provide a genuine alternative theory. But what if there is no evolutionary explanation? Perhaps the peacock tail continually evades an evolutionary explanation because it didn't evolve, but was designed after all. Then there is too rapid genetic decay. Bad news, folks. We're accumulating copying mistakes. You may have heard of them called mutations. They're in our genes at a rate of approximately 60 to 100 per person per generation. Here's a video clip from the presentation The Mystery of Our Declining Genes, featuring Dr. John Sanford, inventor of the gene gun. Today I'd like to speak about genetic entropy. And genetic entropy is very disturbingly real. Now there are two basic worldviews out there. The first worldview says we are naturally going up and that the natural world left to itself will somehow self-organize and get better and better over time. And the other view is that we are naturally getting worse. We are going downhill and that apart from God, everything is coming undone. When I was a young believer, a new believer, uh, I remember reading chapters 5 and 11 of Genesis and I was sure that uh, the author of Genesis must have been just making up those numbers about how long people lived. And I thought, these are just random numbers. Somebody just picked crazy numbers out of a hat. Interesting thing is, as we look at these uh, numbers, what we find out is there is scientific data in Scripture. 
And so if we simply go to scripture and plot the lifespan of the patriarchs after the flood as over a period of time, what we see is this distribution of age spans. And we see the first diamond in the upper left is Shem, and then all the descendants of Shem. And what we see is what biologists instantly recognize as a biological decay curve. This is not random or crazy, made-up numbers. These numbers are highly systematic, and they're decaying in a mathematically predictable manner. Over the 10 years that I've been looking at the genetic entropy problem, part of my mind keeps saying, this couldn't be real. And, and it was, for me, it was kind of like a theoretical exercise. But now I realize this is very real and very serious. This is not just a theoretical exercise. This is a profound truth that should affect everybody's view of how we should live our life. We're going downhill so fast, in fact, that geneticists wonder why we haven't become extinct a hundred times over. But their bewilderment is because they make the mistake of believing that the world is older than the 6,000 or so years the Bible indicates. Also, many wrongly think that mutations can be the engine of evolution. That is, that they can generate the sort of uphill transformations necessary to validate the microbes-to-man idea. But the truth is very different. In the following video clip, the response of the champion of evolution in the West, biologist Richard Dawkins, when challenged on this issue is very revealing. Can you give an example of a genetic mutation or, or, or an evolutionary process which ha can be seen to increase the information in the genome? Professor Dawkins took several seconds to think about his answer. Can you just stop while I think? I'm recording. Okay. There's a popular misunderstanding of evolution which says that uh, fish turned into reptiles and reptiles turned into mammals and, and so somehow we ought to be able to look around the world today and look and look at our ancestors. We ought to be able to, to see the intermediates between fish and reptiles and between reptiles and mammals. We ought to be able to see fish kind of on the way to becoming reptiles. But of course that's not the way it is at all. Fish are modern animals. They're just as modern as we are. They're descended from ancestors, which we're descended from, way back 300 million years ago, there would have been an ancestor, which was the ancestor of modern fish and the ancestor of uh, of modern modern humans. And that ancestor, if you could have been there then, you could have seen the first steps towards a fish, uh, say coming out onto the onto the land and be, and becoming um, becoming a, something like an amphibian. But that was a long time ago. You wouldn't expect to see that today. And so uh, uh, quite a lot of the misunderstanding of evolution, I suppose, I suppose stems from the fact that people are looking at modern animals and thinking that Darwin has said we're descended from them. Well, we're not. We're not descended from, from modern fish. We're not descended from modern monkeys. We're not descended from modern apes. They are modern animals just as we are. They are our cousins. They're not our ancestors. Professor Dawkins didn't really have an answer. Note that the universal constant of time, far being the hero of evolution, actually makes matters worse for evolutionary theory. And incidentally, on the subject of genetics, in another video clip, CMI's Dr. Jonathan Sarfati explains why DNA similarity with apes points to a common designer and not evolution. Does our DNA show that we came from apes? Some evolutionists say that our DNA is about 98% similar to that of apes, and that this difference is only a few spelling mistakes. 
Others say a more accurate figure is no more than 95%. But considering that humans have 3 billion letters worth of DNA information in each cell, even a 2% difference is actually 60 million spelling errors. Of course, this is not error, but 20, 500 page books worth of new information. A common designer is a much better explanation for the similarities in human and ape DNA. As an architect uses the same building materials for different buildings, we shouldn't be surprised if God used similar design features in many different creatures. After all, we do share about 50% of our DNA with bananas, but that doesn't mean we're half banana. Instead of representing millions of years of evolution and extinction, the fossil record, as it's called, is actually better interpreted as being a legacy of the global flood, described in Genesis chapters 6 through 9, and other events since. Another video, Stasis, Another Problem for Evolution and the Fossil Record, highlights the challenge that stasis and living fossils present to evolutionary theory, while those observed characteristics are right in line with what the Bible says. In nature documentaries and science textbooks, one often hears about creatures that arrived at their body plan very early in evolutionary history and have not made any real changes since that time, supposedly millions of years ago. These are called living fossils, like the coelacanth and the walmy pine. This phenomenon is known as stasis, things staying pretty much the same. And it turns out that pretty much every animal in the entire fossil record appears suddenly and shows this same history of stasis. This was not predicted by evolution. A more recent and radical theory called punctuated equilibrium recognizes stasis in the fossil record, but requires belief in rapid massive leaps in evolution, an unsubstantiated just so story. However, the physical evidence, sudden appearance and stasis in the fossil record fits remarkably well with the biblical account of a recent creation followed by a devastating global flood, just as the Bible describes in Genesis. To find out more from Creation Ministries And there's plenty of evidence of rapid burial, just as you would expect from the catastrophically violent worldwide flood described in the Bible. For example, the video Polystrate Fossils, Evidence Against Millions of Years, show some fossils buried across multiple sedimentary layers. Most people are under the impression that coal forms slowly in swamps over millions of years, but this view neglects the testimony of tree trunk fossils that cut across many coal layers, known as polystrate fossils. If these tree trunks were buried gradually over thousands of years, the top parts of the trees would have rotted away before they could be protected by sediment. Derek Ager, professor of geology at University College of Swansea, recognised this when he wrote of trees buried in coal seams. If one estimates the total thickness of the British coal measures as about a thousand meters laid down in about 10 million years, then assuming a constant rate of sedimentation, it would have taken 100,000 years to bury a tree 10 meters high, which is ridiculous. He then went on to say, we cannot escape the conclusion that sedimentation was at times very rapid indeed. So the slow swamp story should itself be laid to rest. The pattern of worldwide catastrophic erosion, which is movement and burial in a watery cataclysm, is plainly evident for those with eyes to see. By the way, the widely held belief that the fossil record proves that humans evolved from apes is sadly misplaced. One of the world's foremost evolutionary paleoanthropologists, Professor Bernard Wood, forthrightly highlights the deceptiveness in portraying transitional images of ape to man as follows. There is a popular image of human evolution that you'll find all over the place, from the back of cereal packets to advertisements for expensive scientific equipment. On the left of the picture, there is an ape, stocky, jutting jaw, 
hunched in the knuckle-walking position. On the right, a man, graceful, head-high, striding purposefully into the future. Between the two is a succession of figures that become ever more like humans as the shoulders start to pull back, the torso slims down, the arms retract, the legs extend, the cranium expands, and the chin recedes. Our progress from ape to human looks so smooth, so tidy. It's such a beguiling image that even the experts are loath to let it go, but it is an illusion. And Professor Wood has subsequently also said, the origin of our own genus remains frustratingly unclear. But one might reasonably ask, hasn't there ever been lots of discoveries of transitional ape-men fossils since Darwin wrote his book The Origin of Species? The following video clip, Ape Men, gives an example of what has happened to them since they were initially heralded as transitional forms. Belief in evolution has prompted a search for missing links to bolster the idea that man has evolved from ape-like creatures. This has led to some colossal scientific errors, one of which was Nebraska man. Evidence found in 1922 was proclaimed to belong to the first man-like ape of America. The Illustrated London News printed a picture of the ape-man, showing the shape of his body, head, nose, ears, the amount of hair he had, his wife, domestic animals, and tools. And what was the evidence for the illustration? A single tooth. And not just any tooth, but the tooth of a pig. What's more is that there's lots of evidence of dinosaurs having lived alongside of people after the flood. That's coming up after the break. People want to understand where we all came from, so the scientific community, religions, and education systems have each rose to the challenge to give answer to why we're all here. One way or another, we're all limited by the number of facts and opinions we can gather and assess. Evolutionists and creationists should both be aware of the facts, though, no matter what, before they draw conclusions or debate origins and reality itself. If you want answers to evolution's most perplexing claims, you'll want to get a copy of the Creation Answers book, and I'm pleased to tell you that it's now available in audiobook form, read by yours truly. And if you like, you can also get it in softcover copy or ebook format. The Creation Answers book provides biblical answers to over 60 important questions that everyone should be informed on, like what about carbon-14 dating? How did all the animals fit on the ark? Where are all the human fossils? And how did bad things come about? Not only does the book answer your questions, but equips you to effectively respond to those that resist the gospel due to the theory of evolution. The Creation Answers book is a must-have for anyone's library. So get the audiobook, ebook, or softcover copy at creation.com store. The 600-year-old tomb of Bishop Bell at Carlisle Cathedral in the United Kingdom has brass engravings of what appear to be sauropod dinosaurs. They appear to be engaged in a fight with their necks, as is also typical of giraffe behavior, or perhaps courting displays, also familiar within the animal kingdom. Whoever engraved them all those centuries ago clearly wasn't copying them from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Rather, people at the time knew what such dinosaurs looked like because those creatures were alive at the time and were as familiar to people as the other creatures engraved on Bishop Bell's tomb. 
for example, fish, dogs, pigs, and birds. There's lots of evidence of dinosaurs having lived alongside people after the flood, like that of Carlisle Cathedral, and of rapid burial of dinosaurs during the flood, and of red blood cells and hemoglobin in dinosaur remains, indicating the millions of years extinction ideas must be wrong. But the evidence is right in line with the Bible's timeline, as the video, Blood in Unfossilized Dinosaur Bone, shows. There are many physical evidences on Earth to contradict the billions of years that evolution teaches, like the red blood cells and hemoglobin that have been found in an unfossilized dinosaur bone. Evolutionists believe that dinosaurs died 65 million years ago, but discoveries like this one contradict that belief. The Bible says that land animals, which would have included dinosaurs, were made on day six of the creation week. There is no contradiction between what the Bible says and evidence that dinosaurs lived recently. You can get an idea of the astonishment of the scientists involved in the discovery by viewing this video, T-Rex Red Blood Cells. In the early 90s, researchers from Montana State University made a startling discovery. Inspecting a piece of T-Rex bone under a microscope, they could hardly believe their eyes. They could see dinosaur red blood cells. This discovery prompted lead scientist Dr. Mary Schweitzer to say, it was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone. But of course I couldn't believe it. I said to the lab technician, the bones after all are 65 million years old. How could blood cells survive that long? In a Discover magazine article, Dr. Schweitzer explained further her surprise. If you take a blood sample and stick it on a shelf, you have nothing recognisable in about a week. So why would there be anything left in dinosaurs? Such a response is understandable, considering that she thinks dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. But surely such data suggests it wasn't that long ago. Actually, following the 1990s discovery of the red blood cells and hemoglobin, even more dramatic discoveries have included, in 2005, flexible ligaments and blood vessels. In 2009, the fragile proteins elastin and laminin, and further confirmation of the presence of collagen, an important protein in bone. The protein evidence was inescapably building up against long-age ideas, adding to the 2003 finding of osteocalcin in dinosaur bone. If the dinosaur fossils really were tens of millions of years old as claimed, none of these proteins should have been present. In 2012, bone cells proteins actin and tubulin, and even DNA. Under measured rates of decomposition, these proteins, and especially DNA, could not have lasted for the presumed 65 million years since dinosaur extinction. This is dramatic support for the Bible's timeline, with its maximum age of the Earth of 6,000 years. Also in 2012, radiocarbon in dinosaur bones. But carbon-14 decays so quickly that if the remains were even 100,000 years old, none should be detectable. And note the way that many dinosaurs have been fossilized in a death throes posture, pointing to death by drowning, as our video Death Throes explains. Dinosaur fossils are often found in an unusual posture characterized by their head thrown back, hind limbs bent and tails extended. 
Over the years, scientists have proposed different theories to explain this puzzling phenomenon. However, according to paleontologist Cynthia Marshall Foe, there is only one legitimate explanation, which is that the dinosaurs died of asphyxiation. It is well known that animals starved of oxygen when they die can go into this characteristic posture due to muscle spasms. This new understanding of dinosaur fossilization fits well with the Bible's account of history, where most dinosaurs were rapidly buried in sediment during the global flood. Starved of oxygen in their last moments, many dinosaurs assumed this unique asphyxiation posture. So the biblical flood provides a simple solution to a long-held dinosaur mystery. A thought-provoking fossil pictured on page 105 of the young earth is testament to rapid burial in the flood. A fish was covered over so quickly that it didn't even have time to finish swallowing its lunch, which leaves no room for millions of years to fossilize. And it's not just vertebrates that are so exquisitely preserved. Contrary to the misleading slow and gradual fossilization ideas taught in textbooks, there have now been hundreds of jellyfish fossils discovered, magnificently preserved. Thus, Charles Darwin's prediction made in his Origin of Species that no jellyfish fossils would ever be found has been proven to be utterly wrong. The fossil evidence found worldwide, even in the highest mountain ranges, speaks of the truth of the global flood of Noah's time. Findings of Tyrannosaurus rex bones are especially revealing. Flexible blood vessels and what look like red blood cells in blood vessels. The discovery of pliable blood vessels, blood cells, and proteins in dinosaur bone is consistent with an age of thousands of years for the fossils, not the 65 million years claimed by the paleontologists. Regrettably, when evidence such as this is found, researchers tend to not trust their own eyes. Instead of questioning the millions of years paradigm, they'll often throw doubt upon their own evidence. There's plenty of facts about our universe that defy naturalistic explanation, but speak instead of the truth of Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. For example, the retrograde motion of some of the planets of our solar system and the structure evident in the universe. There's lots more about the starry skies that points to the Bible's timeline of creation as well. For example, supernovas demonstrate by their presence that the mooted billions of years age of the universe is nonsense, but are right in line with the Bible's 6,000 year age of the universe, as the video Supernovas explains. Supernovas. When a massive star explodes, it is called a supernova. This explosion is so bright that it will briefly outshine the rest of its galaxy. According to physical equations, the supernova remnants should keep expanding for hundreds of thousands of years. If our own galaxy really is billions of years old, we should be able to observe more than 5,000 supernova remnants with a diameter of 300 light years or more, yet we don't see a single one. This is exactly what we would expect if our galaxy was 6 to 10,000 years old. Researchers have made available enhanced color images of geysers on Saturn's moon Enceladus spraying water vapor into space. This and other evidence of surprising geological activity sent back by NASA's Cassini probe highlights the fact that our solar system cannot possibly be billions of years old, but instead is in line with the Bible's account of recent creation. 
Given all these various examples, some listeners might now be wondering, why then do many people not realize there's all this evidence for biblical creation and the flood? One factor is that many people don't understand the difference between experimental science, which relies on eyewitness observations, which happens to be in line with the Bible's injunction to let every matter be established on the testimony of two or more witnesses, and claims about evolution in the past, which is not. The video, What is Science?, featuring Dr. Jonathan Sarfati, explains why the creation and evolution debate is about history, which cannot be observed, repeated, and tested. Many people assume that scientists must be right about evolution because we can see the effect of science everywhere. It works. After all, didn't science put man on the moon and bring us electricity and antibiotics? Well, it's important to understand the limitations of science. The science that brings us things like modern medicine is all about discovering things that can be observed, tested, and repeated in the present. For example, a chemical reaction can be tried and repeated time and time again. But the science used to uncover the past is very different, because the past cannot be repeated. Scientists use clues that exist in the present to try to guess about the past. The way each scientist interprets the evidence will be different, depending on his or her preconceived ideas and assumptions about the past. If someone says a dinosaur turned into a bird 150 million years ago, remember that this is only someone's interpretation of the evidence. Now, all this is not of mere academic interest, but has ramifications for everyone's future. We've seen here that the evidence strongly points to the truth of the Bible's historical account about creation and the flood. The video Noah's Ark Judgment on Sin explains that Jesus Christ, our Creator, Lord, and Savior, spoke of the flood in context of a judgment to come. Noah's flood was sent as a judgment because of the wickedness of man. Noah and his family had to go through a doorway of the ark to be saved. The ark is a reminder of the salvation message. After the flood, God said that he would never again send another global flood. However, in 2 Peter 3, the Bible warns us about another type of global judgment that is yet to come. Only eight people were saved in the flood. Will you be saved from the coming judgment? Today, our ark is Jesus Christ who said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 10, verse 9. So, the scientific evidence leads us to the fact that we are created, not evolved. Living things point to design. Geology confirms the biblical flood. Genetics reveals that our world is decaying and needs to be renewed. The good news is, is that the Creator will one day do just that. He cares about each of us and has a plan for our lives. The book of John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you have more questions? We have a full collection of Q&A pages available at creation.com slash QA. In the unlikely event that you still have a question that isn't addressed there, you can ask us directly. However, we insist you first endeavor to have thoroughly searched creation.com. If after that you still haven't found an answer to your question in the 13,000 plus articles and videos on our site, you may submit a theological or scientific question to CMI, and we'd be very happy to respond. We may consider publishing your question and our answer as a feedback article for the benefit of all readers. 
The Creation.com article podcast is hosted by me, Joseph Darnell, and produced out of the U.S. studio of Creation Ministries International. Learn more at creation.com. This episode article was written by David Catchpole. Our writers and scientists host a really cool talk show called Creation.com Talk, which you can find right here in your podcast app and YouTube. If you'd like to help us, become a monthly supporter using our donate page. You can also help by telling your family and friends to check out our podcasts and creation.com. Be sure to follow Creation Ministries International on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to our free e-newsletter, Infobytes. From everyone at creation.com, thanks for listening.